Bible lessons from the first epistle of John now brings us to that wonderful passage in chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, where we read, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. How blessed are these words, which may be rendered. Behold, what manner of love the Father has come to be giving to us, that children of God we should be called, and we are. There seems to be this note of assurance. There is nothing higher than being called children of God, with all that is implied in these words. We are not children of God by natural birth, for we have turned away in the pathway of sin, and God has had to take great measures to restore him to himself. There is no spiritual accomplishment that can lift us above this wonderful classification or set us in a different group from the rest. The idea of children is that of offspring or a relationship based on community of nature. What a matchless privilege that we may be conscious of God's very nature abiding within us and living within us if we have forsaken our sins and through faith in the atoning death of Christ been forgiven and transformed and having been born again of the Spirit of God. It is our being animated by the Holy Spirit that constitutes us children of God. It is our obedience to the will of God in willing submission that has made it possible to restore us to the heavenly family not that we obeyed for a time before we were restored, but that we were completely willing forever to do the will of God, and thus we were willing to forsake our sins. In these last words, and we are, we have a full assurance expressed of our position. God does not design that we should go through life with a great question mark of our relationship to the great God. The New Testament in its essential message is that we may be overwhelmingly conscious of the favor and forgiveness and mercy of God and be fully persuaded and fully conformed that we are going on in the life of faith and happy relationship to God. How have we come to be in this wonderful position? We have these words, Behold, what manner of love the Father has come to be giving to us. This is how. The tense here describes a process in the activities of the Godhead in planning and bringing to pass the plan of salvation. The great end of all the recovering actions of the Godhead was to bring about the continual manifestation of their loving disposition within us, to be bestowing upon us that radiant life which is the very essence of God. Now there was a time when these provisions were being worked out or accomplished. Think of the planning of a possible redemption for man before his creation in the event that he should sin 
after the manner of the angelic order of beings, although this appeared highly improbable. Think of the determination to bring redemption to pass after the tragic actuality of man's fall and all the preparations that became necessary leading up to the advent of the Savior. Think of the struggles that Jesus endured at the hands of sinful men. Think of the great atonement when Jesus bore the sins of men in his own body unto death, when he cried, It is finished. All things were now ready. Now the climax could be reached in the manifestations of God's blessing to repentant mankind. Think of the descent of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to fill men's souls with the presence of God. Here is the climax of all of God's preparations. Now the Godhead can manifest themselves fully without restraint to humble men. Now the bosom of divine love can be poured forth. Now the Godhead are more fully happy in man's love and in loving man with great manifestation and being blessed in the exercise. The accomplished bestowal of blessing has been continuing down through the ages to all who in great humbleness of mind call upon the Lord. In our lives he does not bestow his love once and then leave us to its memory, but continually, day by day, the great God pours forth that sweet consciousness of his presence within the hearts of those who have been reconciled to him. This is Christianity in its essence. It is to walk in the bestowment of the love of God or in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. How the Father's heart is blessed in all his great sacrifices of love for us. We come now to some clear implications or indications of what it is to be a child of God. We may render this section of this passage, because of this the world is not knowing us, because it did not know him. The word knowing and the word know are of a deeper concept of knowledge in the original, and it means to have a knowledge of by personal acquaintance or to have an understanding of by experience. Now certainly it is not the title children of God that causes us not to be understood by the world, but the fact that the children of God are living in and are having relationship with the heavenly realm, that they are living a present life in the conscious presence of Jesus, this is what causes them not to be comprehended by the world. Is the force of the words because of this clear? Indeed it ought to be. The children of God are not in name only, with their manner of life being the same as those of the world. The world certainly understands the lives of such who are living as they do. But when the world observes a supernatural spiritual power of love and holiness within a soul and notices that the motivating forces of themselves are not present in such a one, they are mystified and do not understand it, for they have no direct knowledge of spiritual things. So woe unto us if we are understood and comprehended by those of the world system. 
we may well question our conversion to God. The child of God is so linked to Jesus that he stands in the same category. The world does not and cannot understand either the Lord Jesus Christ nor the true children of God. Paul speaks of this great spiritual knowledge and understanding in 2 Corinthians 5.16 where we read, So that we ourselves henceforth no one are knowing according to the flesh. And if we have become acquainted with according to the flesh Christ, yet now no longer are we so becoming acquainted with him. In other words, the spiritual knowledge is one of direct consciousness with the great God. But now we read on further, and we may render, Beloved, now children of God we are, and not yet has it been made manifest what we shall be. We are knowing that if he should be made manifest, like him we shall be, because we shall see him even as he is. How tender is this address, and what blessed unity prevails in it! How restful and peaceful! Here is not that excitement of sin which is fearful that it will lose out on something. We have the wonderful words, Now, children of God, we are, or our being. It is a continuous life of holy confidence and loving expectation from the Godhead. The words, Not yet has it been made manifest what we shall be, should prevent undue speculation as to the details of our heavenly existence. They have been wisely withheld for us, and it matters not, indeed. The Christian is not curious, but is wonderfully satisfied with his Lord, and it is enough to know that like him we shall be, when with bowed heads we are ushered in to his great presence to see him even as he is. And then we have the words, And everyone who is having this hope upon him is purifying himself even as he is pure. Here is a clear indication as to who those are who are having a real hope and expectation of the heavenly state. They are purifying themselves continually or are purging out from themselves every trace of evil that they can find. Their aim is to be perfectly holy in the sight of their Lord. Nothing short of this is of any consequence. Their Lord is pure and they are continually seeking after a similar heart purity. The two present tenses here make the having of a true hope toward God and the continual purifying of one's heart to be occurring together. There can be no true hope except in a state of purity of motive and purpose. The purifying is set forth as our own act, we notice, or our own continuous action. It is a making of ourselves clean by continually thrusting from us all moral uncleanness. As we come in contact with selfish and sinful men, we are frequently tempted to relinquish our holy purpose of heart and set up once more our own gratification as the supreme end of our lives. And thus we must continually thrust away from ourselves these evil thoughts and suggestions and cleave unto the Lord Jesus Christ and abide in his love. Since the child of God is often set forth as being active in applying the work of Jesus on the cross to cleanse himself from sin, it may be that the same reference is here intended. A looking away by faith unto Jesus 
to apply his sufferings as a cleansing for what sinful thoughts and motives we may fall into momentarily. We should consider the significance of the words even as, to understand that God is not satisfied with any secondary holiness in us, but a soul-laying hold of the glorious provisions of the gospel that we shall be pure even as he is pure by the grace of God. Oh, the richness of the glorious privileges that we have through Christ. The gospel does not present some distant transaction, but a vital, holy, and happy state of heart in which we may continually walk through this life and continually look forward to that heavenly life in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful it is to have forsaken our sins and to having entered into salvation through faith in the atoning death of Christ. Our blessed Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for thy willingness to be associated with us if we will only forsake our sins and have that confidence and faith in thy death so that we are forgiven and restored to thee and then we may have continually the bounty of thy loving presence. We pray in thy precious name. Amen.